you're here. These are Jill's journals. Uh, we're just going to do some thoughts and observations today. And before we do that, we're going to do the intro. You can skip ahead. It's three minutes long. I will see you on the other side. Tell me why. so glad you're here. My name is Jill and these are my journals out loud. I draw on them to bring you a podcast focusing on those of us who are wired for danger in both the fight and the fallout because my heart and mission is to serve you in yours and what I know to be true as a wired for danger human. The quest for meaning is Without a mission we are willing to die for, there is no purpose or meaning to live for. We are not special, but necessary. Our lives are often hard, and they rarely end well. But even knowing all of this, we just can't not do what we were born to do, because we can't stop being who we were born to be. If you are new, I hope you'll listen and see if any of this rings true. And if so, you are not alone. And with that, we are so glad you're here. I've been looking for a place that I'd rather be. I've been searching for my own destiny. I raise my gun to the sky and scream out loud. This is my life. This is my hope. This is what to let it all out We are the young ones to fight for survival We will watch you like an eye of a fighter We are the young ones to fight for survival We will watch you like an eye of a All right. Well, let's just take a deep breath. Uh, I'm recording this on, I believe today's Saturday, May 20th, as the world goes crazy outside. I don't know about you guys, but we feel, I feel, it seems like we're in some kind of countdown uh, for the next few weeks to see what new fabulousness will emerge in this ever-growing sea of uncertainty. But 
I thought I would just touch base. Uh, I just have, I wanted to share some things that I've been observing for the last couple of weeks, even though like technically I'm not talking about quote unquote survival or just walk away. Some of the things I've talked about in the past doesn't mean I'm not still thinking about it. So this is for those of you who are wired for danger, but this particular podcast is more just like checking in and relevant to all of us because uh, I believe we're all in some version of danger or maybe not. Maybe it's getting pushed or kicked down the road a little bit further. Who knows? So just as an orientation process, uh, I am still in the southern half of New Mexico in the Alamogordo area. Uh, you know, I came down here thinking that this possibly would be someplace I wanted to move. And uh, it's actually really nice. I have to tell you, for those of you who have never had the uh, joy of being out in the middle of nowhere, cut off from uh, Wi-Fi, cut off from decent cell phone, and cut off from access to food and supplies, it's really nice to have four or five bars just pick up the phone, does whatever you want, hook up the phone, the internet kind of works, and uh, within 15 minutes, I can pretty much go get anything I want with the added bonus that this place has a dog park. So the dogs have had some adventures, and uh, Haven, who apparently needs more socialization, <laughs> she's so submissive, who knew? So uh, it's been a really interesting uh, experience on the one hand, uh, and... On the other hand, uh, I don't think I want to live here. So this is the kind of place I think that it would be good to live. Uh, you know, New Mexico only has a few major cities. And this one is really small. There's only about 30,000 people. But there's just a lot of people in this spread out area. And it just does not feel like... Uh, my place, but I've been wanting to come here for years thinking this would be a good relocation uh, area. So I'm very happy I did it. And we've learned a lot about uh, the fact that uh, I have some radical improvements to make if I'm going to do any kind of travel situation. Because at the end of all this, this is the survival tip, I have not slept for over two weeks, more than just a few hours here and there at a time, in a lot of physical discomfort, because the three of us do not fit in this cab. Uh, I had gotten some extra padding, but even that's not enough. And so <clears throat> I am about ready to lose my mind, but it's been really an interesting process in that I keep thinking, you know, if we had a really stressful event and things went bad and you were thrown out of your house and you were in your car, or you were walking, uh, I read that it takes uh, three to five weeks to adjust to a new sleeping surface. Uh, and I actually feel like I'm just now getting the hang of how hard this one is, but it's not as physically discomforting as it was when I first started. Of course, I have a little bit more padding than when I first started. At the same time, being horrified that we have to have so much comfort to sleep. I don't know. I guess in the olden days, they just slept on the ground or put some straw down, which is actually very uncomfortable. Uh, but the huge impact not sleeping has, I mean, we've all had stretches and days, but usually within that process, you know, there might be some actual sleep recovery time, but not having any valuable 
sleep for this period of time, I literally can't think. It's uh, the only time I've ever felt like this before was when uh, my thyroid went out and I couldn't think. And it it's just a fabulously uh, frustrating <laughs> experience. Sort of observing yourself, like I can't think. I remember having that experience with the thyroid. Ugh, the dogs. Ugh. Is, um, you know, like I'm watching myself, knowing that I'm capable of thinking, but I cannot really process information. I have a little bit of time in the mornings when it's not too bad, but... Uh, by the end of the day, I'm just a vegetable. And so I, you know, I keep imagining to, to factor in extreme stress, you know, like say that really bad things were happening and you were walking or you were freaked out. You know, when I did that simulation last summer, I was aware about how much adrenaline would be uh, a component of that degree of stress. And now I'm trying to factor in this idea of putting no sleep on top of it. I do not know how people function in long protracted crises, uh, you know, like civil war and still having to chop wood and carry water just to function, go hunt food. We are just a sliver of our former selves. (laughs) I'm beginning to really uh, understand that we're just so, uh, I think because I'm, you know, been, thinking sleep, looking up sleep, you know, I'm getting a lot of uh, advertisements geared around sleep and just the extreme amount of comfort attached to sleep that we've established. And everybody knows it's an important thing. There's no questioning the value of sleep, especially if you haven't been getting it. But as I'm looking at, you know, the more and more complex uh, contraptions for our uh, total comfort uh, it is going to be a huge shell shock if people just have to like pick up and go out. I don't remember what I was doing, but they were showing pictures of like little baby kids, you know, toddlers sleeping, must have been a migrant thing, you know, sleeping on the ground, just in the dirt. And you, if you're tired enough, you will pass out. But let's just say the level of quality of sleep is important too. <laughs> so this has been a, a fascinating exercise in reality check that uh, if you are not getting good sleep, uh, it will be extremely detrimental for your survival process because, uh, you know, we, I, I think most people know the health benefits and the issues around sleep. I talked about this in my primal human training program about uh, you know, you have delayed reflexes. It's There's all kinds of things that happen when you don't get enough sleep. But just uh, having this experience and observing myself, it's really uh, sunk in that if, if I had extreme stress on top of this, I would be in serious trouble. So uh, just something to factor in. I, I really cannot uh, believe how... Uh, much I'm getting, you know, from each of my forays out into the world in terms of streamlining this process. And uh, so just as a personal update, I am going to head back to the horse trailer today or tomorrow, depending on uh, how far we get, because one, I have got to get some sleep. And two, if I'm going to stay in here, I have to take out the passenger seat of the truck so that I can at least 
stretch out physically I can't it is such a cluster in here with three dogs one dog I could do it two dogs no universe that that's going to happen so uh, I either need a different vehicle or that uh, passenger seat has to come out so I can at least have a small area I can stretch my legs and not be constantly contorting because of these damn dogs and uh, I don't want to throw it out because if I were to sell the truck I'd I need the passenger seat. I took out the bench in the back. I think people will be able to deal with that. But to have no passenger seat, I think, would make the truck almost unsellable. So uh, I need to do that. And I cannot believe the number of things I forgot that make this process a little bit easier. Uh, and how many things I still need to do to make it manageable. So uh, my intention is to go back and then see, you know, what I'm going to do, if I'm going to stay there for a little bit because the weather is cooler or uh, re-sort everything out and head back out again. Because the other thing that we have discovered, <clears throat> the boy dog does not tolerate heat. He has just been a nightmare. He's, you know, my last dog, Freedom, was like that. He couldn't tolerate heat either. And even though, you know, the temperature would say 80, it would still be 90. Somehow I'm in like the one spot that isn't 80, it's 90. Thank God the whole time we've been here in the deserty part, there's only been one day it was kind of nice. Uh, I did go up into this canyon area, but that was beautiful. But there was a huge bug assault, which I am now driving back into that no see fly situation that was a nightmare last year. So there is just no perfect solution, but he is not adapting to this type of life. He is not capable, apparently, of being in heat because he acts like he's dying all the time. And then the funniest thing is, is when I try to put water on him to cool him off, he think you would think I had just beat him up. He just is and running away and hiding. So he Haven has done great. She is very much more adapted to this. He is not. So we're going to have to take that into consideration about uh, how we move forward. So I don't have any uh, super fast answers. I just have a lot more information, which is really, you know, what survival is. It's a lot of assess, adapt. It's that OODA loop. It's that really, although I'm not observing, I'm experiencing which personally I think is the only way to learn is through personal experience, not so much observation. And uh, I think each of these experiences that we're all having in our own little ways are what I'd like to think is making us all better people, more equipped, more uh, sure about who we are and what we want to do and how we want to be in the world. And so for me, that's what these processes are. But I have to say, uh, if I don't get some sleep soon, I am going to lose my freaking mind. <laughs> Very important, apparently. If I was desperate, I would just rip the seat out and deal with it. But because it's an option, I am definitely going to take myself up on it and go back and regroup. In addition to that... Uh, one of the th other reasons I want to go back for at least a short amount of time is there's a lot of stuff going on out in the world right now and potential issues over the course of the summer. So uh, I just want to be where all my supplies are. Uh, it's, it's, as I said, it's not, it's kind of dense 
populated. The, it's not that there's, you know, tons of people like a major city in Albuquerque, but there's uh, just where humans are, it, there's people everywhere. And then once you get away from the humans on both sides uh, of the zone, it's pretty empty, uh, you know, 50 miles plus or minus between the next set of civilizations. But it's just a lot more dense than I'm used to. And uh, I will not lie, though, I have enjoyed the perks of having access to the real world. You guys just don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> you can just pick up the phone and it works and uh, go to the store because you need something, not because you have to make a $50 investment to go buy a loaf of bread. It's been really nice to have access to, uh, not that I'm going and getting a lot of stuff, but just the idea that access is available. And so uh, that's kind of where I'm at with all of this. Uh, so I've made lists about all the things I forgot. I cannot believe how many things I forgot. And I don't really want to have to go buy them again. I just don't have the money to do that. So it makes more sense to go back, uh, resort everything out, regroup, uh, and make some decisions because I am lucky enough to have that as an option. I'm, I've met you know people who are not able to do that. So uh, anybody considering you know, these processes, I think short trips, uh, but as for as long as you can extend them, uh, you know, two or three days isn't enough. Uh, but in a lot of different environments, one of the things I wanted to test was heat because this summer, this winter, when I traveled, the weather was really nice. It was, you know, 50 at night and 70 during the day. You just can't beat that ideal Goldilocks zone. So I wanted to experiment in extreme heat. And what I've learned is uh, it's really hot and that doesn't help with the sleeping problem. Uh, I love this tent that I got. It's called Dark Technology. Apparently, though, it is not dog proof. You should. I tried to take a picture of the hole that Haven did in the little screen room. And while I was trying to take the picture, she literally thrust her whole body through it. So now I have this gigantic hole in the screen, in addition to multiple other holes that they have uh, given me the, the joy now. If I have to go back and fix all of these things. Uh, so that does not work for dogs um, very well, unless you're sitting there and staring at them and saying, no, no. No. <laughs> so these are all, you know, little things along the way. The bell tent, you know, is too big. The, this tent I love, but it's not very sturdy. Uh, you know, there's constant wind. I've learned that I just can't sleep in the tent. There was, uh, this has been an interesting uh, place where I've ended up parking. It's more deserty, uh, trying to get away from those bugs. But there's been a lot of little cars come through and all these variety of ways people are traveling. There's been several people who have tents on top of their car sleeping. Uh, I think somebody came in last night. They put up the tent as fast as I've ever seen. It must have been those pop-ups. And then when we were out taking the dogs this morning, I didn't want to shine the flash flashlight on their camp, but it looks like someone's got a hammock sleeping out there. And last night was this horrible wind event. I mean, it was disturbing and it woke me up. It was so loud. I couldn't sleep through it again, every little thing. Uh, 
And I kept, I from my one night that I tried to sleep in the tent, you know, the ground was too hard, but the noise from the flapping sides of these lightweight tents, you know, the heavy canvas tent is not so bad, uh, is really difficult. But there's a lot of people who have all these very creative uh, tent situations that they, you know, pull up and they put them up really quick and then they fold them up really quick in the morning and then they take off again. So it's, and there's been a lot of different kind of uh, setups that people have come through here with. So uh, it has a different feel to it than the experience I had down in Yuma with more of the long-term people camping. There's been a lot of short-term people here. So uh, very interesting. I love seeing what other people are doing, uh, you know, sort of asking those questions, you know, what's possible? And there's just, an, there's so many possibilities, but I really don't think you know what you can and can't live with until you sort of launch out and do it. Unfortunately, uh, you know, it's a lot of work if it's not something that you are, uh, have the time to do and it just becomes a get up and go situation. But uh, I'm really grateful that I can, sort of work some of these bugs out before it's it became maybe kind of a mandatory thing because uh, this would be an issue if I didn't wasn't able to go back and regroup I would be really screwed because I can't think it's just shocking to me how hard it is to think but here we are and so uh, I guess I should at this point segue into why did I put Elvis Presley <laughs> into the beginning and I uh I found, I have a little MP3 player I found, and I was listening to some of the music, and that's one of my favorite songs that he sings. And as I was listening to it, you know, he's singing a song about something that's, you know, for those of us who are Save the World people, is important, right? Is acknowledging uh, bad things that are happening and, and, you know, wishing that we could do something about it. It's one of those heartstring songs. And he has such an amazing voice and such an amazing gift. Uh, but I was thinking about how, as a culture and a society, that we have, we sacrifice people who have these tremendous gifts because, Everybody is focused on what they can get from them. And he was this amazingly talented human being that just was destroyed in the process of him trying to express what was his real natural gift. And uh, I watched that video right before I uh, recorded this podcast, and I hadn't watched any video when I was just listening to the audio. And he's so physically disconnected from the emotion of the song. I mean, he's, he's doing that. He's trying to, sh to look emotional, but I can see the blankness in his eyes. I can see his leg, uh, you know, for those of us who have that agitated thing. Uh, that's a displacement of energy when you're pretty much doing something you don't want to do. Uh, you know, you, you twitch or, you know, your leg goes up and down. It's, it's, a, it's when there's energy in your body that you're not able to put someplace that's uh, what you want. It gets dispersed in ways that you don't want. Uh, and so I can see he's physically not really in that moment with that song. And I can understand, you know, as a musician, you have to sing the same thing over and over and over again. You get disconnected, you know, from the emotions of it, but you put on the show. Uh, but what a tragedy that is and how uh, we have evolved into just taking people apart that have something valuable 
that they want to share. And, uh, you know, I, I say that because, you know, I love this idea of people who are able to have just one thing. And that's something I think about a lot. There was that City Slickers uh, movie with Billy Crystal and Jack Palance. And, uh, you know, at that, at some point in the desert, you know, the secret to life is just one thing. And I've always envied people who have just one thing. Uh, And, you know, people like Elvis Presley, who have this amazing capacity to sing. And he has that, just that one thing that's so powerful. Uh, And how you get lost when you try to share your one thing in the public eye. You know, when you're a a healer, a doctor, you know, so often you lose your just one thing in the world today. They just crucify you. I was listening to an excerpt from the whistleblower trials of the FBI. And, you know, one of the FBI, I wasn't, I just heard it. I didn't see him. And he was talking about, you know, telling the truth they will crush you and he would never do it again. And he would never tell anybody to do it again because the government and the institution will crush you. And he was so articulate about the way he was sharing that. Uh, and it, to me that tied in, you know, what was happens with an Elvis or anybody who has this precious one thing, whether it's to fight, to, to defend truth, whether it's to, work and service to defend those who are vulnerable and suffering, uh, whether it's an artistic creative thing that is your one thing, how much the world tears at you for trying to do that one thing. And I see that no matter what community you're in, whether you're a fighter, whether you're, you know, an artist, whether you're a parent, all the things that are going on in the world that are trying to tear apart that one thing that we value most that in many ways, for many of us, we come into the world to share. And that's sort of where I've arrived is that, you know, when I keep boiling down, what is my one thing? It really comes into three aspects of one thing. And, you know, my real one thing has always been the question, what is the truth? The problem was I got to a point in my own process that nobody wants to hear the truth. I think I'm finally making peace with it. I don't feel as angry about it, but uh, I don't want to be a truth teller. I, I like seeking truth, but I don't like telling truth because there are so many people talking about so many different things with this idea that their truth is the absolute truth. And what you have to eventually get to is it's like an onion. You just keep peeling back layers. And uh, there was some guy, I think his name is Jonathan Kahn. I, I couldn't even listen to the interview because I remember he's he's Jewish. He, he uh, the schmitza or something he talked about. So he's one of those screaming, yelling guys about the end of the world. And he is, you know, was got real famous or, you know, got a lot of notoriety because he was talking about the next schmitza or whatever it was. And then nothing happened. And then he goes away. And then he comes back with the new thing he's yelling about. Then he goes away when that doesn't happen. Then he comes back with the new thing that he's yelling about. And, and we just sort of don't blink. And we let these people come back over and over and over because they might be telling us something that 
we think we want to hear, but it's just their understanding of the truth. And the last thing, you know, I could only listen to like two minutes of the interview because he was screaming about something that is like old news for a lot of other people, but it's new for him. And so his truth is, is he has to be passionate about it because it's he's at that place in the onion. And that's where we all are. We're all at a different layer in the onion, peeling things back. And so we're all having a very different interaction with this idea of what is the truth. And we also have a different relationship. You know, sometimes what is the truth is like for me, the truth is I need sleep. I can want to do this all day long, but if I don't get some damn sleep, I am going to get into some serious trouble. I mean, I don't even know if I should be driving at this point. Uh, you know, what is the truth about a relationship? Is this somebody that I should be involved with? What is the truth about uh, my creativity, right? If I'm Elvis, the truth is, is he is tremendously talented, but which is more important, the fame and the success that goes along with the talent or holding on to the purity of what it is? I watched a, a movie one time. It was, I don't remember what, it was an Asian country, but it was a, a guy who wanted to be a singer, but he was a teacher and they ended up sending him to the middle of nowhere, some little tiny microscopic village. And uh, there was a girl there who had this amazing voice, you know, and she would go, she was in the mountains. It was beautiful. And she would go and she would sing and it would echo through the valleys, but only she could really hear it. I mean, it was valued within her community or little tiny community of 30 people or whatever it was, but she wasn't famous. She wasn't rich. She wasn't successful, right? She just had this amazing gift that was pure for her in that moment, in that place, in that time, in that way. She valued the gift, not all the things that she thought or that people think that come with it in the fame, success, adoration. So he filled up his teaching contract. And so they show because he wanted to go to Australia to be famous. And so, you know, they, they end the movie where he's in Australia. He's singing in a cafe, right? He's singing his little heart out and nobody's really paying attention. They're all talking and not listening to him. And sort of the look in his face, like this was the dream, right? But what's the truth? To, to love the gift, to be in a place where you have community and create value and meaning, and the purity of the gift is good, or is the truth, you really want the fame and the success and the attention. And and there's a lot of people yelling about stuff that don't care about the truth. They really want the fame and the attention. And they're using what they call truth, whether it's spiritual, whether it's health, whether it's uh, financial. Their truth is really the vehicle to get to what it is they really want. And I think, you know, I have described it to myself as primary and secondary intentions. You know, we're here in the world to experience uh, the primary intention is what our soul and spirit wants, which would probably rarely be in agreement with what we think we want. The secondary, I think, is who we are in the world and what we think we want. And a lot of times those things butt heads uh, and we're not able to look at them as what the real issue is. And so for me, you know, I think my one thing is what is the truth, 
But my reality is, is I don't like talking about it. I don't like sharing it. I don't like trying to express it. I don't like the way I feel. I don't, you know, no, nothing about the expressing of it has fit for me. But I have felt compelled to try and help because the truth, while it doesn't set us free, it does point the way. But I think, you know, where I'm personally making uh, adjustments, and I say this not just as a way for you to think about your own process. Uh, when you are mission-driven, when you are a person who is uh, mission-driven versus, you know, maybe relationship-driven or uh, is happy with just the day in and day out and the simplicity of life, you know, those are truths that we're moving around in the world in very, very different ways. And none of them are right or wrong. And so when I talk about what's true for me, uh, I think the truth is, is it's uncomfortable for other people because that's not how they see the world. That's not how they feel and experience the world. And so one of the things all of us do, right, whether you're Elvis or an astronaut or uh, I I love that Legends of the Fall, you know, when the Brad Pitt character is just having all this stuff inside of him and he has to go out into the world and have the world beat him up before he can make peace and come back and find a different way of being. And as a parent, how hard and difficult that would be to watch your kid just disappear and f- be in constant rage and battle with the world and there's nothing you can do to help. And I think especially when you're not a wired for danger person, it's very difficult to look at that. And, uh, you know, the, the movie ends with him returning to the wild because civilization took everything from him. And so we're all having a wildly different experience. Uh, I think people who have their one thing and know what it is are really lucky. Uh, And it's taken me all of this time, these last, until these last few years, able to really boil down what my one thing is uh, and still not knowing what to do with it, still floundering around, which I know is excruciating for everybody to watch. But my journey has been productive in my way, which is really my life, my sharing it, maybe not so much. And it is uh, when you are mission driven, it's just very different, like I said, than than what other people experience and how they experience. And uh, I, I think, you know, my, the biggest thing I wish people could get out in the world in this time where everybody is screaming and yelling constantly and this deep need to be right about everything is to understand that everybody is in a different place at every single moment of your lifetime, that we're all in a process that nobody, you know, births into the world as the final product and outcome We're all moving through. We're here to experience, not to just observe. And that nobody in the whole universe thinks and feels the way you do. Because so much of the yelling is about 
trying to get people on your side and to feel good about it and to feel right about it. And that is just not what's happening. Uh, and so it's excruciating to watch all of this as everybody is tearing everybody apart uh, and tragic. There's so much tearing everybody apart right now. It's just unbelievably painful and tragic. And as a Wired for Danger person, having to watch all of this and know that there's just almost nothing you can do about it because everybody trying to help is being crucified and sacrificed. The Border Patrol, uh, and I know that there are bad Border Patrol agents. There's no perfect everybody. and I mean, there's just no perfect. We're all having our singular experience together in which it's never going to be kumbaya. And it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch what happened to Elvis Presley. It's hard to watch or know about what's happening to these children at the border. It's excruciating to watch in America, you know, what our government is doing. It's horrifying to know what's happening around this world because there are a tiny percentage of people that feel like their version of the truth is more important and powerful than anybody else's. And we're all in this great big soup of trying to make sense and move ourselves forward. And so uh, I just wanted to, you know, stop in and touch base as I went from I need sleep to uh, the the abstractions of the universe. <laughs> Welcome to my world. I live in these extremes. I live in these wildly practical survival extremes to these wild abstractions that I have created a life that allow me to explore. Uh, you know, one of the great positives and one of the reasons I've tried to share my story is that to me, I have just been so grateful for other people who have gone out and walked roads and then shared their stories. And, you know, one of the most profound uh, validations I had was when I read about what's called the desert mothers. And they there were the desert fathers, which are the famous ones, and then the desert mothers. And it was men and women uh, before, uh, it was post-Christ Christians who were uh, it was it was like three to five hundred years after Christ uh, died, and that Christianity was still kind of establishing itself, and so there was a lot of debate. There was a lot of of uh, seeking to understand, a lot of disc, uh, you know, discourse and uh, uh, ideas being bandied about, and uh, you know, there was a certain percentage of people that literally went out into the desert. And some of them went to like great extremes. Of, that's the hermeticism. There was anchorites, people who would uh, put themselves in walls and just, I mean, they would literally brick themselves in and live in these tiny uh, enclaves. And, you know, they wanted the truth. These were truth seekers. These were the people who, who sought to find the deepest truths and were willing to give anything and everything to accomplish that. And they did it for all kinds of reasons. But what was really interesting about the women is it was very different than most of the men. And uh, the women were actually the ones that funded a lot of the the men and the women's processes. It was a lot of 
widows and women with family money that took all their money that created the uh, monasteries or the sanctuaries or the physical proximity uh, of shelters. Uh, so it wasn't so much that people just wandered out into the desert and died there. There was usually some kind of uh, community building, whether it was somebody's home or whether they erected it. Uh, and then some of the people would branch out from there and go find a cave or sit under a tree or something like that. But there was a lot of visiting. So they would go out and check on people or bring them food or uh, the people out in the desert would come back and there would be discussions. And, and uh, you know, they would often make things and go into town to sell to support. But it was really the women that funded a lot of this spiritual seeking process because, that's what they valued. That was the truth that they valued. But, you know, we're in a world now where we don't value that. We value the exciting kind. We value the dangerous kind that says, really, you know, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be successful or I'm going to be safe or I'm going to be protected or I'm going to be right. Uh, it's all very external driven as internal driven. You know, we've lost that uh, truth as an internal process that doesn't need to be talked about with anybody and everybody. And uh, even though within that community, they would talk about it, but there was respect for the process of exploration. And, uh, and I think, you know, what's fascinating to me is uh, how, uh, and I've seen other people talk about that, but, you know, if Jesus walked up now with bare feet or sandals and just one dirty tunic, uh, nobody would ever listen to him because we don't respect that. We respect the famous rich person that tells us what we want to hear. Uh, we've just, we're, we're in a cyclical process that is, uh, you know, getting ready to shift back to a more simple way of being. And I think the only way I know I'm able to make peace with all of this is the internal process itself, because out in the world, and that's really been, you know, one of my takeaways from these last couple of weeks is I've had access to out in the world that I haven't really had for the last few years, because as you know, I turned off my internet. And so while my phone has worked on and off, uh, I've been, you know, I, I don't do social media. I just, I can barely get on the phone most of the time to even get access to the rest of the world. And uh, my takeaway is I still don't like it. I don't want to do social media. I don't want to scroll through and listen to people yelling about stuff. I mean, I've set up accounts and I was trying to, and I will give them to you because I do think there's a purpose and a place for them. But my takeaway, having all this access to uh, the phone and just sitting here, you know, being too hot and too sleepy to do anything, I've spent a lot of time on the phone. Uh, but it's been really good because it's reminded me that I don't want to scream about the truth because nobody wants the truth. They want to be safe. They want to be rich. They want to be comfortable. But we really don't want to do the internal work. But if we're doing the internal work, that is the same thing as we're all in a different place processing it. And there's no right or wrong. There's no like you should or uh, why don't you or that's just not how all this works. It's our personal 
mission. It's our personal process. It's our personal experience that I think our primary self, right? We come here to learn about ourself, about our world, about anything that might be uh, important for our spirit or our soul at this point in time. It might be a respite. Some people come into the world just for a break, right? They just need a timeout. I think about trees, right? Trees are just, they're here to just hang out for a while. So it's, we're all just having radically different experiences. And uh, if we can just step back and decide how we want to move through this massive time of uncertainty that is just coming at us faster and faster and faster. And uh, it's a good, we're, we're a long way from things being settled. I mean, to me, I can't believe that the nukes haven't gone off, but, and I'm right next to another Air Force base. And man, I wish I could have caught it. Yesterday was the loudest I don't know if it was a sonic boom or an explosion, but it was so loud. I'm like, did something just really bad happen? (laughs) I mean, it was like shattering, shuddering loud. And so uh, it is, you know, we're in a very tenuous time and our nervous system is what's moving us through and how we cope. Uh, And, I think the magic of all of it would be to understand what your gift is and how you could hold it to create some comfort for yourself by expressing in a pure way your joy in that gift without it being, you know, sacrificed and crucified and condemned out in the world, Uh, manipulated or what all these terrible things that we do to people who have these beautiful gifts Uh, like what they did to El like what happened what they did well what happened to Elvis Presley I mean to me it's just so tragic because he just had something very special and magical and unique and uh, it wasn't that people just stopped enjoying his music but I find it very difficult to enjoy when I can see the pain and discomfort within him. It's just a different feeling when somebody is like that uh, woman in the mountains singing and it's just for the pure joy of singing not to get anything. And I think we do that in our small ways, right? Making a loaf of bread. That was a whole project for me for years. And the joy of when it actually rose was so exciting when I started the the trailer thing, I had mastered it in the mountains with a real oven, but it was like three years when I was out on the road before I ever got a loaf of bread to rise uh, and how much joy there is in that. And, you know, I was thinking about that with my videos. There was joy in my videos until people started watching. And that was the end of me having any kind of uh, function on YouTube that was just pure, joyful creation. And nobody liked it. Nobody liked my music and my editing, except for me. And uh, so I pretty much stopped doing it. And anything now that I do that I like, nobody watches. And so uh, it's a, it's very stressful uh, trying to find our way through this world uh, that is valuable for us as opposed to valuable to others. 
And there's no perfect answer and there's no perfect way through. And that brings us back to survival. And these two extremes, you know, that I have chosen to put myself into of understanding what it means to survive, how I'm even I reduced by half how much stuff I brought. And I can even cut that in half. I mean, the whole game for me has been uh, how much how little can I take with me and how much I'm enjoying having so little. Uh, I, I dread going back into the trailer other than, you know, the memory foam that I'm excited about going back to sleep on and coffee. I haven't been able to get a good coffee routine going. Uh, I'm dreading it because how much that all that stuff in the trailer just crushed me with the energy of the stuff. And so uh, I'm excited about the simplicity of this and how much uh, weight has been removed by not having the crushing of my stuff around me all the time. And so every, every little experience to me is about just interesting in terms of survival. Uh, And at the same time, you know, these great big things that are happening out in our world that are just so unique to this period in time. I mean, these are like once in millions and millions of lifetime experience out in the world. And so uh, we are just in an amazing moment in time. Uh, And I have to say, it's amazing that I have been relatively coherent throughout this process. Uh, Because let me just tell you, (laughs) it's been so bad. So uh, I just wanted to kind of touch base, let you know where I was at, what the plans are. I have no idea, you know, when I'll be coming to you next or what I'll be talking to you about. Because My takeaway is I'm not here to even talk about truth, even though that's what I was just rambling on about, because uh, I don't like it. I like learning about it, experiencing it, processing it. And so, uh, you know, my takeaway from my experience here and my one thing is that, you know, there's the what, the how and the why. For me, my one thing is the truth. The how is the journaling, which is, I think, boring for everybody else. But how to journal, to me, is the best way I've found to move through all these experiences. Uh, and the why, and for me, the Wired for Danger people are the ones I love because our way in the world is hard. And it's so difficult for other people to understand that. Like, why would you do that to yourself? Uh, you know, why are you sacrificing for a mission that nobody else understands? And... Uh, you know, in my perception, in my view, I am doing the most important thing there is to do as a human on the planet is to understand the truth that will set us free. Even if I don't want it, nobody else wants it. Like I don't know what else could be more important because for me, all this started a million years ago when I just wanted to end suffering, mine and everybody else's. And it's been a long five decade process of trying to get to the core reality around that. And it's not truth that I like or anybody else is going to like. And it doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, I am completely open to being wrong about everything. And, and I don't know. None of us know because we're all in a constant state of revealing, of revelation, right? There's no singular moment that explains that we're all going to have in which everybody's on the same page at the same time in some magical kumbaya utopian world. And uh, I remember 
not too long ago, there's a gal who's writing a dystopian novel about moving to a utopian future, which is, you know, the grand dream of all Marxism, communism, things like that. How do we create a human worldly utopia? But even she said, you know, the problem with writing, a someone had asked her, well, what would your utopian novel be like? There's no conflict. You cannot have story without conflict. conflict. And you cannot have understanding of truth without contrast. And yet we spend all of our energy trying to avoid conflict, conflict and eliminate contrast so that we can have a utopian heaven on earth, which is never going to happen because if we're just fat and happy, right, sitting on the couch, I used to say that, sitting in the easy chair recliner, eating Cheetos, watching TV, right? There's just no conflict and you're in your own little bubble. So that's just this morning's diatribe. The sun is getting ready to come up. Uh, I am, like I said, my game has been how streamlined I can get in here so that I could just physically get in the car and drive away. Let's just say uh, yesterday I sort of let it go to mush. So we're going to take us much longer to reorganize even the little bit of stuff that we have. And uh, I'm going to go uh, look at a few things maybe on the way home back. It's raining. It's going to rain theoretically here and it's going to rain there. So uh, I'm not sure where I'm going or how it's going to work out today, but oh, see, yawning. I'm ready to go to sleep again. And it's what time? It's 5.30 in the morning and I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> I've been up since three. Ugh. I cannot wait to have more than one or two hours of sleep at one time. That has become the obsession because that has been the one thing that I cannot get straightened out in this current situation. And all of these discussions mean nothing if you do not have your basic survival situations in place. So uh, hopefully there was something from this process that you could take away that maybe applies to your own personal survival practical journey. And whatever your one thing is, and I will never not encourage you to journal all this out because to me, that's where the magic has happened. The revelation happens, the revealing, the pulling back the layers, because the grand secret for me of seeking truth was looking at the one thing I didn't want to know, whether it's about myself or whether it was about anything else. If I didn't want to know it, there's probably a truth lying in there somewhere. And most people don't really want to look at that. Me neither, but here we are. So deep breath, my friends, and I hopefully will see you soon, which will be our next time.